I, I am going to open God's Word with us, but before I do that, I have the tremendous privilege of welcoming uh, Graham Lee, who is the Executive Director of uh, Great Oaks Camp, uh, to share with us about the ministry of Great Oaks and how you might um, uh, participate with, uh, with the ministry at Great Oaks in, uh, in reaching people who need the Gospel. So, Graham, if you would share with us. All right. Um, thank you, Pastor. Um, yeah, what a what a great honor to be able to come and uh, share our ministry, our heart uh, with you. Uh, so, in order to do that, uh, kind of to lay the groundwork a little bit, I'm going to share kind of where where Great Oaks has come from, um, and then I'll kind of share a little bit of our heart. So, in 1972. Um, Great Oaks was started with the heart uh, to bring at-risk youth from Peoria out and give them a Christian camping experience. And so Great Oaks was purchased. It was just a, a field with some trees and a bunch of cows. Um, and from there, we've grown quite a bit. Um, and our heart is absolutely still uh, to serve the at-risk population of Peoria, of Chillicothe, of surrounding areas here. Um, but we've also grown to be able to serve more than just that. We're able to serve school groups. We're able to serve um, church retreats, uh, church youth groups, um, older groups from church as well. And so God has really blessed us with the ability to uh, expand our ministry to not just be uh, focused on what we were started from, which is um, a big part of the program that we run, but our ministry is, has uh, been blessed and grown from there as well. Um, and so with that, kind of the question of, all right, so, so it was started to be able to, to serve this population. We've grown to serve in other populations, but kind of why? Uh, why camping? Why camps? Um, to, to, to kind of answer that, um, one answer uh, that I've heard a lot is, so if we meet um, at church, uh, Right, so we meet from about 10.30 to noon-ish. Uh, Joe talks a little bit longer. We're talking noon 30. Um, you know, and so over 52 weeks, if we have perfect attendance in a year, we're looking at 78 hours in a church. All right? Uh, that's 78 hours of communion time as a church. Now, if I bring a bunch of kids out to camp for one week, assuming that those kids actually get eight hours of sleep, which, let's be honest, nobody does. Um, <laughs> that's 80 hours of church opportunities in one week. So that's a great reason for camp. Um, you get so much more time, so much more concentrated um, opportunities for discipleship through that. Um, but there's also a better opportunity through camping uh, that's not just time-oriented. Um, because camp is not a replacement for the church, and the church is not broken down into just how many hours are you at church, right? Uh, it all has to do with those communities, right? The, the opportunities that we have to, to grow together. So I'd like to um, really quickly just read, um, read through the parable of the sowers, found in Matthew 13. Uh, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house um, and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude 
stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some of the seeds fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places, and they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, and they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has hear, ears, let him hear. Um, so I really like this passage, uh, in part because it, it kind of, uh, it just encapsulates, encapsulates our ministries. Uh, we're really trying to, to do our best to sow the seeds to everyone that comes to us. But another reason that I want to share this passage is uh, a couple of years ago, I was, I was around the program, and we had um, a bunch of teen boys out there. And so for our service project that we did, uh, we had a field that needed a little bit more grass in it. And so we were out there uh, for about an hour and a half, and we were seeding the field, sowing grass out there. And on one side, we've got woods on one side of the field, and we've got a road on the other side of the field. And so we did that on Monday. And on Thursday afternoon, I read through this passage. Those boys will always have that experience stuck in their head associated with this passage. Being able to read through this passage after that week when they had actually done this, when they had been able to see the seeds go on the ground, when they had been able to see that road that those that grass is not going to grow in, see the woods that have loads of thorns that are going to choke off that grass. This is the opportunity that camp has, is to be able to connect people to Jesus through life-changing experiences. Um, being able to sow the grass into that field is an experience that's now attached to the gospel that will stay with those boys for the rest of their lives. And so that's uh, a lot of the purpose of camp uh, and the opportunities that camp has. Um, Great Oaks is uh, um, a ministry uh, we're funded by private donations, and uh, we're through that we're really able to serve a lot of the surrounding population of the Peoria area, and we're really blessed to be able to do that. Um, we have church partners that uh, lift us up, lift us up, and support us through that. Um, we have church partnerships going that are that are bringing um, at-risk population to us uh, that we're running our program through now. Um, and so, uh, just if you would like to hear more about our ministry, about more of what we're doing, um, you can talk to me uh, after the service, or you can contact. You can find out more about us at grayoakscamp.org. Um, my colleague Chad uh, Caldwell, Caldwell, our program director, is also here. You're welcome to talk to him. Uh, he's far more capable of being able to speak than I am. Uh, so please uh, talk to him as well. Um, and Olivia, who's uh, part of your, your congregation, uh, also is my colleague, and so you're welcome to talk to her. She'd be happy to tell you about Great Oaks as well. So uh, with that, I thank you so much for your time. I uh, thank you for your patience, and I'll give you back to more capable hands. Joe? Mm -hmm. Well, for, since 2010, I have been a board member at Great Oaks Camp, and it is a privilege to get to serve uh, alongside 
these guys as they do their ministry. Uh, Great Oaks is, is um, certainly worthy of your prayers, and uh, if you're looking for a place to invest some of the resources that God has given you, uh, it's a great place to, to, uh, to invest for the kingdom of God um, in, in, uh, in changing people's lives. Uh, you know, the gospel continues to to work and to change people's hearts all over the world, uh, not not just overseas, although certainly there. Uh, we heard from uh, our friend Rhonda uh, with Call Her Blessed uh, this morning in Sunday school about how God is moving among Muslim women and uh, causing them to reach their whole families with the gospel. And if you want to hear, hear more about that, we can connect you with her. Uh, we have some connection information on that. Uh, but also we can connect you with Great Oaks. And you can see how God is moving in Peoria County and the surrounding area to reach people with the gospel in places where they don't have a lot of hope. Um, but but uh, uh, Great Oaks partners with the church to have the gospel on tap and, uh, and widely available. And so this is an exciting thing. A um, couple other things here. Um, uh, first of all, in about two weeks, so on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day Sunday, we're going to have a baptism service here. Uh, we already have one person who's committed to participating in that uh, with us. And if you would like to uh, be baptized, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and would like to publicly proclaim your faith and be baptized, uh, see me and or see Pastor Josh, and we will line that up for you. Uh, also, uh, every now and then, from time to time, as I find good books to share with you, uh, you know, a, a good Christian book is not a replacement for your Bible. Uh, if you have to choose between reading a Christian book and reading your Bible, read your Bible. Amen? Uh, the Bible is God's Word. But also, there are some, uh, some resources from time to time I find that are really helpful. This is a really helpful book. It's called Deeper. Subtitle is, uh, is, is Real Change for Real Sinners. Um, if you are a real sinner, this book will help you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I am a real sinner, and it has been really helpful and encouraging to me. Uh, but today, we're going to be back in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Um, so 2 Thessalonians. Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, and as you make your way there, let me just introduce where we're going. Um, you know, I, I love stories with good endings. I don't like the kind that's really ambiguous as to what happened, you know, or where evil wins. I always want a good story to have a good ending. One of my favorite stories goes like this. There's a group of good and decent people who have suffered for a long time under oppression from an evil ruler. You know, there are people who are doing their best to make a decent life for themselves and to live in peace, but it's hard because injustice is the order of the day under the local tyrant's boot heel. Until one day, a man comes in from outside riding in, to overthrow evil and to set everything right. And the wicked ruler of the place and his minions are thrown down and the oppressed are finally set free to live in peace and joy once again. This is a great story, amen? 
And what I've given you, depending on where you're at this morning, is either the plot of every good Western movie ever made or the story of the Gospel. Right? That you have people who are living, and if you are a person today who is alive on this planet who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a person who lives under the oppressive rule of the prince of this world, the tyrant of this planet. Amen? And one day, we believe, and in fact we know, that that tyrant will be overthrown by a rider on a white horse, in case you miss it. Right? How do you know who the hero is in the Western? He rides the white horse, right? And our hero is going to come in riding on a white horse and overthrow the wicked and all of his minions and bring an end to sin and wickedness and evil and He is going to get rid of sin, wickedness, and evil, root and shaft. Amen? Everything that is affected by sin, all the people who live under the oppression of Satan and sin and death will be set free. And evil will be brought to an end fully and finally and completely. And I think it's helpful for us to think about the reality of this story that we're actually living in. Uh, Because... We need our great hero to come riding in from outside. One day he will. But it will not be good news for everyone. It will be good news for us who are looking for his appearing. But it will not be good news if you are those who are united with Satan, the evil ruler of this age and this world. And for those, it will be very bad news. But here's the thing. Satan has already been defeated in the most important battle. And that is the, the prelude to the larger and final battle yet to come. Uh, there will be a day when evil is gone. And because of that, we're looking forward to, the, to, the, to that great day when Jesus comes back into town, so to speak. And all of the uh, injustices of the world are made right again. Um, The Word of God speaks to us very frequently about that day. And the truth it proclaims to us are vital for us to understand because they provide us with encouragement for our lives right now in this sin-tainted world that we live in and because they exhort us to be very clear with people about both the new life that Jesus offers and the alternative if you reject Jesus. Amen? If you're going to share the gospel with people, you're going to have to share both the good news and the bad news. Both the realities of heaven and new life with Jesus and also the reality that there is a judgment for all those who reject Him. And it is apart from Jesus and apart from heaven and apart from God's people. Both things are true. There are two sides to the gospel, not just one. It's good news if you believe, but it's only bad news if you don't. 
And the passage we're reading today includes both of these things. It includes both encouragement for those who are believers as well as reminders of judgment to come for those who reject Christ. And it's a very sobering passage. In fact, I think it might be one of the most sobering in the entire Bible. Uh, but if you uh, are with me here in first, I mean, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to read to you these verses, verses 5 through 12. And if you're able, if you'd stand and follow along with me as I read. This is what the Word of God says. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you is believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified. And that his glory would be seen not only by us, but in us. Father, this is a stern passage with sobering truth. Father, I pray that it would bother us sufficiently that we would love our neighbors and proclaim the gospel to them that they might escape from the wrath of God and enjoy instead the new life that is found in Jesus now and for eternity. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. As you look at verse 5, you'll notice it begins, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. And to understand what verse 5 is talking about, you've got to go back a verse. What's evidence? You know, whenever you see a pronoun, you want to find out what it's replacing, what its antecedent is, right? Uh, what's the word this replacing? What specifically is evidence of God's righteous judgment? Verse 4 tells us, it's the Thessalonians' steadfastness and faith in all of their persecutions and afflictions. How does that serve as God's evidence, as evidence of God's righteous judgment? What does that have to do with being worthy of being in God's kingdom. Let me explain if I can. Uh, God is going to judge everyone by His righteousness. God is going to judge every single person by the standard of His righteousness. Those who have put their faith in Jesus will go to glory. Why? Because they have the righteousness of God credited to their account. Amen? 
When you put your faith in Jesus, it's as if God puts the righteousness of Jesus on you. And you stand before God, not dressed in your righteousness, which would never work, but dressed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so, do you meet the standard? Say it with me. Yes, you do. (laughs) Right? Yes, you do. Is it because of what you've done? Absolutely not. If, it, if, if, if my righteousness is required to obtain God's right, you know, if I'm required by my own effort to obtain God's righteousness, I am already in hell. Because I can never be good enough. Amen? What I need is not a, a pathway for working harder and jumping higher and, and somehow trying to, to uh, you know, do enough good works to obtain. God's righteousness. No, I need someone to uh, to give it to me as a gift, and that's exactly what the gospel promises: that we are recipients of God's grace, which carries us not just uh, from the moment of our salvation, but all the way home, because we have been given the righteousness of God that we need. But for anyone who is not clothed in Jesus' righteousness, they're also going to be judged by that righteous standard. And evidence of God's, and so to explain here a little further, so the evidence that God is righteous in counting people worthy of being in His kingdom is the fact that these people are willing to suffer greatly now for Jesus' sake. Their faith in Jesus is obviously the real deal. How do we know? that these Thessalonian believers have genuine faith in Jesus because they have already suffered greatly for the faith they profess in Christ. Amen? So God is righteous in bringing them into His kingdom. He has not only only offered them the gospel, they've received it. And they've received it in such a way that they're willing to suffer for it. And God says, Obviously, these people belong to me. How do I know they're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake? Verse verse six extends the thought here that God is not only is not only the righteous judge uh, who declares believers worthy of His kingdom, He will also righteously afflict those who are afflicting His people. Now, more on that when we look at verses 8 and 9 here in a minute. But for now, understand that God's justice has two sides. God is the God who declares believers in Jesus righteous because He's given them His righteousness when they put their faith in Jesus. But He's also the God who says, if you reject the payment made on your behalf, then you get to paddle your own canoe. And you get to enjoy all of the benefits that that brings. Unfortunately, there aren't any benefits. What you get instead is God's righteous judgment. Declaring you guilty before Him. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins at the cross, so God justly saves people who put their faith in Jesus. But He justly afflicts everyone who afflicts His people. Now remember, men and women, that the Thessalonian church was already strongly persecuted. 
know, this is the second letter that Paul wrote to them. Um, in the first letter, we read that some of them have already died because of their faith in Jesus. So when we're talking about strong persecution, that's what we need to include in that thought. So when he's saying, you know, that God considers it just to afflict the people who afflict you, this is not just, you know, that someone was mean to me at the grocery store because I was a Christian. Right? These are people who are being strongly persecuted, and, and this is meant to be encouraging, that look, there is going to be a day when God will settle accounts with the people who are persecuting you and harming you and oppressing you. This is a reminder that God sees what is happening to His people and He will bring justice to the people who are making His people suffer. It's meant to be a comfort to people who suffer unjustly for the sake of Jesus. And it's also meant to be a warning to people who inflict unjust suffering. The judgment's coming from a righteous judge. Judgment's coming. Shane is riding into town. And if you were Jack Palance, he's going to shoot you in that saloon. <laughs> All right? Um, if you have not seen that movie, you need to see it. All right? <laughs> um, but, or Open Range, or one of those, you know, where the, the guy rides into town and he deals with the wicked. Right? So you're not always going to you're not always going to live under the boot of these people. But someday the righteous judge is coming. And when he does, he will afflict those who afflict you. Uh, verse 7 answers the all-important question. When is this going to happen? When will the suffering of God's people end? When will the wicked persecutors get the judgment that they deserve? And the answer is, on the great day when Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty now, uh, just a little aside, I don't normally get into detail on Greek words and so forth, but this is an interesting word. Uh, the word uh, revealed here is the word apocalypto. Okay? Uh, it's what the word we get our word apocalypse from. If you have an older Bible, the last book in your Bible is not called Revelation, it's called the Apocalypse, right? Um, but that the idea of that word is this. It carries the sense of the removal of a veil so that what was hidden is now seen. We live in a world where we don't see Jesus. Right? He's not visible to our eyes. But Paul is saying here, there's going to be a day when the veil is taken away and you will see Jesus reveals. And when you see Him on that great day, He's going to be revealed in glory. And He will be seen fully and completely as God and His mighty angels are coming with Him. Now how many angels are there? Uh, the, the Bible doesn't specify a number. It says 10,000 times 10,000. Which is a... a, a um, I think the technical term is a lot. <laughs> okay. Um, when you consider that that one angel 
one angel wiped out the entire uh, Assyrian army in one night. I believe it's the Assyrian. Okay. Uh, with Sennacherib. When he invaded, uh, one angel went through the Assyrian camp and killed them all in one night. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Okay. Uh, that's a serious level of power. How many is 10,000 times 10,000? I, I was a history major. I can't do that math. Okay. But it's a lot. And at the head of the column is Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And out of His mouth proceeds a sharp sword, and on His thigh is written a name that only He knows. And with Him are His mighty angels. He will be revealed in glory. You will no longer see gentle Jesus, meek and mild, riding on a donkey. He will be the judge of all the earth that will appear on the great day. And you and I will rejoice because it will mean rescue for us. But among everybody else, it will be a scary and a terrifying appearance of the judge of all the world. It will mean eternal salvation, rescue, and relief for God's people and simultaneously judgment for the wicked. A day of rejoicing for us, a day of condemnation for God's enemies. And this person, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will eternally condemn the wicked. That's verses 8 and 9. Look at it with me. I'm just going to read it and then walk through it with you. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of His might. When Jesus comes, He comes with the angels in flaming fire fire. God's judgment is one of burning fire. And this fire inflicts God's vengeance. It is the holy fire of God which justly and righteously punishes sin. And that punishment falls on everyone who does not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me be clear. This is not two groups of people. This is two descriptions of the same group of people. They do not know God. Hence, they do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. If they knew God, they would obey the gospel. And note that description. The gospel and obedience are connected here. Jesus' call to His disciples is, follow Me, not acknowledge Me. Amen? If we put our faith in Jesus, then that faith results in following Him in obedience. Christians follow Jesus and they obey Him because we believe the Gospel. We don't obey as a substitute for faith or as a way of meriting salvation, but we do obey Jesus because we love Him, because He first loved us, because He gave His life for us. 
But everyone who doesn't know him doesn't obey him either. And every single person who doesn't know God and obey his gospel, which calls them to believe in Jesus and receive salvation, will receive his judgment, the flaming fire of his vengeance against sin and sinners. And verse 9 gives us even more sobering details about what that means. It's the punishment of eternal destruction. Men and women, let me explain this, okay? Because I know this makes people uncomfortable. People don't like to think about hell. They don't, they don't want to imagine anybody they know actually going there. But this is the deal. In your New Testament, there are 220 chapters. There are 160 references to hell in those 120 chapters. Most of them on the lips of Jesus himself. He is the most prolific, acerbic, acidic, strong preacher on hell in your Bible. And what he consistently says is that this is the place of God's judgment of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the outer darkness. It is the flame of fire of God's judgment. It is the place where the worm does not die and the fire does not go out. You feel me? Real place that Jesus really talked about a lot. And it's terrifying. It is the punishment of eternal judgment. A person in hell is always dying, but never dies. Their punishment continues forever and ever, and they never escape from it. And this punishment proceeds from the majesty of God's power, while they themselves are shut out from God's presence. I'm not exactly sure what that means in the context of an omnipresent God, right? be shut out from God's presence. But I do know this, that it definitely includes this, that there is no way they can stand before God in the way that you and I as believers do. There's no way they enjoy and worship God. And remember too that being in God's presence is the place where all the good things of life and all of God's blessings originate. So being shut out from God's presence in this way also means being cut off from the goodness of God utterly and for eternity. They will miss forever the beauty of God's glory, but they will only know His glory as revealed in wrath and righteous judgment against them and their sin. Because here's the deal, men and women. Everyone gets what they ultimately want. God dignifies this life with, with a, an absolutely serious choice. You will either say to Jesus, Thy will be done, and bow your knee before Him in faith, believing in Him as your Savior. Or God will say to you on the day of judgment, Thy will be done, and shut you out of His presence forever. You want nothing to do with me? Very well. I have a place for you. Or you will have nothing to do with me forever.
that is the reality of eternal judgment. We, as believers, are looking forward to being in God's presence forever. In fact, the glory of eternity is not that the streets are paved with gold and that there are uh, gates made of pearls and all the rest of that. Okay, that, that is not the glory of eternity. The glory of eternity is that we stand face to face with Jesus forever. That we get to be with our King forever. And there's no reason ever to leave. And there's nothing that will cause us any pain or harm or hurt or tears or death anymore. We will be with the King. But for those who turn away from Jesus and say, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus will say to them very well and shut them out of His presence. And it's horrifying. Millions of people will choose that very thing. And God will give them the dignity of His voice. But we, verses 10-12 through 12 here, will eternally glorify God. Uh, verses 10 through 12 remind us that this kind of punishment from God is definitely, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this punishment is definitely not your future. It will not be yours. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no way that you are going to suffer this way. Because you belong to Jesus. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that He died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead, there is no way that God's wrath will ever fall on you. You will glorify God, not in punishment for your sin, but in the salvation that you experience fully and finally forever. Look at verse 10. When Jesus comes on the great day, He will be glorified in His saints. We who believe the apostles' testimony, like the Thessalonians did, will see Jesus coming, not as a terrible thing like unbelievers, we'll see it as a day when Jesus is glorified in us and we'll get to marvel at Him. We will see Him for the first time in all of His glory. And we will know in a new way how amazing He really is. And He'll be glorified in us too because it will be the day of our final salvation. Remember we talked about resurrection a few weeks back and I talked about how, how um, Paul talks in, in 1 Corinthians 15 about how when you put a seed in the ground that what goes in the ground and what comes out of the ground are not the same. Like you plant a little tomato seed and you look at this thing and you're like, I don't know, that doesn't look great, right? And it doesn't have a lot of glory to it, right? But when you plant that dude and you water it and then that tomato plant comes up and it grows six feet tall and has 50 pounds of tomatoes on it, you're like, oh my word, how did this come from that, right? And when Jesus comes for you and I, that will be the day of our glorification too, when Jesus will glorify Himself in us. It will be the day when our resurrection bodies are given to us. It will be when the trumpet blows and the archangel shouts and the dead in Christ rise. 
and we will experience all the glory that God intended for us. And our bodies will have all of the glory that they're meant to have. And we'll experience it for all eternity. And um, we will be finally free from sin and all of its consequences. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll raise mine for you. But how many of you have sins that bother you? That you are constantly confessing? That frustrate you because you're like, Lord, here I am again. I lost my temper again. You would think I could make it all the way to Kroger without cursing at someone under my breath, <laughs> right? But apparently not, you know, <laughs> right? And we have sins that bother us. And that we feel like, oh Lord, when am I ever going to grow up? When am I ever going to experience maturity? When am I ever going to look like Jesus? This is when. will finally be set free from sin and all of its consequences forever. It will be our graduation day. It will be the commencement of eternal joy and permanent glory when we worship the Lord and stand in His presence with joy forevermore. And verses 11 and 12 are this prayer. You know, if you read Paul's letters, one of the things he does in, throughout his letters is that he prays constantly for the people in them. And I love that. In fact, you can make yourself a really good practice of learning to pray by just reading the prayers in your Bible and praying them. You know, you can do that. You can do that. And so we want to walk through this one. Verse 11 includes two requests. One, that God would make you worthy of His calling. And two, that God would fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. So here's what the apostles are praying here that God would transform those He has called to salvation and then asking God to use His power so that His transformation would show up not only in their resolve to do good works, but in actual good works done by faith. Now these are awesome things to pray for your brothers and sisters and for yourself. And there's more. Look at verse 12. This Verse 12 gives us the intended result of these requests. Lord, I know You're going to do this. I know You're going to make us worthy of Your calling because You're going to be about the process of sanctifying and transforming us and that that's going to produce good works. And here's the intended result. Um, that the name of Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me break that down a little more. The name of Jesus is not just His name. Uh, in other words, it's not just that we want people to hold the, 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 the word Jesus in esteem. In the ancient world, a person's name stood in for the person themselves and for their character. And so asking G for Jesus' name to be glorified in you is asking that in your own heart that you would revere and admire and praise the person of Jesus. And asking that you would be glorified in Him is asking that your transformation would be so evident to other people that they would glorify Jesus, the person, because of what they see that He has done in you. That they would look at you, in other words, like I look at some of you that I know well, and I go, 
I can see what Jesus has done in your life and I praise Jesus because of you. Right? That you see the transformation that God is doing and you go, Jesus must be amazing because look at what He has done in your life. Look at how different you have become because of Jesus' presence in your heart and in your life, working His transformation in you. And finally, all this takes place according to the grace of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle's way of acknowledging that these things are God's gracious work and are going to happen according to His plan. This is a good prayer. If you want to pray for yourself or pray for one another, this would be a, these would be two great verses to insert someone's name into. To this end, we always pray for you with their name, that our God would make their name worthy of His calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith in them by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in them and that they would be glorified in Him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you want to know how to pray, here would be a good place to start. Now, this passage contains a lot of things that are hard for us to swallow. I do not like preaching about hell. It is not my favorite thing. If you scratch me, what I want to talk to you about is, I want to talk to you about redemption and adoption and salvation and glory and how God in His grace paid for all my sin, and brought me into His family. Right? I want to talk about all of that because that is way more fun. But you've got to give people the bad news. So that they recognize that they need the good news. So first of all, praise God that He has saved all of us who have believed in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you have obeyed the call of the Gospel. To be obedient to the Gospel is to believe in Jesus. Right? So praise God that He has saved every single person who has believed in Him. Praise God that evil will not be permitted to reign forever or sin permitted to persist and ruins God's creation forever. The world and its people will not always be the way that it is. I've told you all before, I don't watch the news anymore. It's too depressing. I can't handle it. I start wanting to throw things. I get grumpy. You know, <laughs> um, like... I get off my TV. I don't want to watch that. I don't want to hear about it, right? It's frustrating to live in a world that is as broken as our world is broken. It's frustrating to live in this world. But praise God, the world will not always be this way. Evil will not always reign. Evil men will not always be in power. Sin will not always persist. The good news is that Jesus is coming and He will fix it all. 
Wicked people and Satan and sin are not permanent fixtures of the world. Everything is going to be made right again one day. God's justice is coming, and that is good news because it's not only the end of those things, but it's also on the same day the beginning of glory for us. And we'll experience on that day the completion of our salvation. So, a couple things to praise God. Here's some things to pray for. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with lost people. Hell is real. Real people really will go there. And they really will experience God's judgment in flaming fire cut off from Him and the majesty of His power. That ought to bother us. And it ought to bother us enough that we are looking for ways and seeking opportunities and people with whom to share the Gospel. It ought to drive us to pray that God would give us wide doors to tell people the good news that Jesus came and died for sin on the cross and was raised from the dead to give people new life so that no one would have to experience His judgment. You ought to wake up every morning and pray for two things. Jesus, You've left me here for another day, and that means that I have two things I want to ask you today. One, that you would give me wide doors to proclaim the gospel to people I meet today. And two, that I would have boldness to speak about you in every, to every person who needs to know you. If for no other reason, you're alive for that purpose, to proclaim the gospel to people that you meet. Because hell is real. So pray for opportunities and pray for boldness. Proclaim the truth that everyone will either glorify God by receiving His grace and salvation or they will glorify God by receiving His justice and judgment. One or the other. If people go to hell as recipients of God's judgment, it will not be because, let it not be because, we did not love them enough to share how to escape from God's wrath and receive His salvation instead. You haven't really shared the Gospel, by the way, if you haven't shared that hell is real. And that just any religion will, you know, will get you there. You know? Well, everybody goes to heaven you know, good people go to heaven, bad people really go to hell, but only the, you know, only the really bad people. That's not the gospel. The gospel is believe in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness of your sins and membership in God's family. Believe that He died on the cross for your sins and was raised from the dead. If you have any other belief, you will experience God's judgment. And you're going to glorify God one way or another, either as a recipient of His justice or a recipient of His mercy. And you get to choose which one it will be. 
And finally, pray that God will continue to perform His transforming work in you. Making you worthy of His calling and fulfilling every resolve that you have for good and every good work of faith that you do by His power so that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to pray that over all of us as we close. To this end, we always pray for you that our God would make Chillicothe Bible Church worthy of His calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in Chillicothe Bible Church and Chillicothe Bible Church glorified in Him according to the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You that You have saved us. We thank You that everyone who puts their faith in You need not fear judgment, but may instead anticipate eagerly and with great joy the coming of the King to set the world to right and to begin His reign and His kingdom, which will never end. And Father, until that day comes, I pray that You would make us bold with the Gospel. Father, outside our doors are millions and even billions of people in our country and around the world who are going to hell apart from faith in Jesus. Father, complete Your transforming work in us such that we have a, Your heart for them and proclaim Your Word to them that they might become members of Your family along with us and escape from Your judgment. And Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.